0: Hi everybody, welcome to this week's edition of Sword and Staff. I'm one of your hosts, Josh Robinson, and joining me today as always is my co-host, Sketchy Richie. And on today's episode, Richie and I are going to try to put out an episode today. We have been providentially hindered the past three weeks? It is now three weeks. Yeah, it is now three weeks that we have not... This makes the third week that we... Yeah. Elemental spirits and principalities. There you go. That's what we're going to write it off to. Uh, but seriously, we've been having massive troubles with computer crashes and disc crashes and just all kinds of crazy stuff. So hopefully we're able to put out this episode. So but to get us started on today's episode, Richie, we're going to be discussing Norse paganism and the research. I think you need to rephrase that. Okay. It would be a discussion
1: if we were, you know, having some sort of expose on paganism, on Norse paganism. But no, we are... Literally roasting the Norse gods. (laughs) Um, Reading this outline, when I first got it, the first thing I went to was, the Norse gods are losers,
0: (laughs) and your religion offers no hope. (laughs) Yeah, so you can kind of think of me as St. Boniface in today's episode. So, (laughs) I'm mean, i
1: here to cut down the Oak of Thor. And here I was telling the pagan people on Twitter and everywhere else that I know that, hey, you need to tune into this one. We're going to be discussing... Some pretty interesting points on
0: Norse paganism. We are. We are going to discuss some pretty interesting uh, stuff uh, in regards to paganism. But but at the end of it, I am going to... So, hey, Odinus, if you're still around after what I just said, <laughs> I mean... I do want... I do, so, that <laughs> does play a part in why I think that they should be Christian rather than a pagan. So, we'll get to that at the end. We'll save the best part for last, how, how about that? All right. But, but in all seriousness, though, um, why is it that we want to have this episode? Why do we want to have this conversation? Why do we feel that it's necessary to have?
1: That's a, it's a big question. You come at that from a lot of angles. Yeah. I mean, just from pop culture and just the, cult, the spiritual climate at large right now. I mean, you have people in the occult turning to Norse paganism, using aspects of uh, Norse paganism and their magical practices, um with working with runes and even just the Norse gods you have this push in masculinity of people looking towards the viking culture mm-hmm. as a symbol of strength and masculinity and tr- something higher to look to look into and you have that you really have that male and female sort of relations there yeah and even just like in pop culture like with the the rash of movies shows Everything to do with, like, yeah. Thor, uh, the
0: Vikings TV show, the Northmen, things like that. Yeah, Marv, you're Marvel, talking, Marv, yeah. Marvel's Thor, and the now Loki as well. Um, so, yeah, it's really in the conscious of our culture right now. And, um, and you know, another thing, too, and this is just a, a kind of personal note, is I, I run into, on a week-to-week basis, far more Norse pagans than I do new atheists. Like, I, I never run across the guy on a day-to-day basis.
1: I mean, um, you, you got these men that are tired of being emasculated... And they're turning to warrior culture. Like they're trying to get that warrior archetype back and yeah. where they're all turning to towards is Norse paganism. Yeah. Like you see that even in like military culture with their Valhalla talk and things like that.
0: There's a part of me that kind of thinks that it's, it's a product of the spiritual void that's out there that, yeah. that the new atheism is left. Like I never run into that. Yeah. Uh, I never run into the devotee of Richard Dawkins, Christopher Hitchcock. Atheism is dead. Yeah. It's, it it's gone. It's dying. And, uh, um, and so, so I think that what's happened is a lot of those guys who were originally a part of that and into that have saw that like it's there's a vacuum there, and not only that, but it's it's led to wokeness and like which has not I These don't are, think this is like the generation post void. Yeah, like I don't think that it's helped them. You know what yeah. I mean? Like it's like it's led to uh, a lot of just craziness that's not benefited men, and so now. I think that they're they're looking to things like Norse paganism to kind of yeah. fill that void. So, um, you know, I think that there's other things going on out there as well. But I, I think that in terms of narrative, and uh, that's probably what's going on. You know, new atheism has left a void and now, like, people know that that can't give meaning. Can't give, uh, can't give happiness, uh, those types of things, and it's not going to help men trying to, (laughs) to meet a a lady, right? Like liberal, woke ladies, (laughs) feminists are the worst. (laughs) Sorry, but like like, sorry, you know what I mean. And so, like, what are we going to do? Well, like being the nice, atheistic college kid isn't going to do it anymore it's time to strap on the ax and uh, the axe. go to work, you know? <laughs> so, <laughs> so, uh, so yeah, you know, I yeah. think that that's, that's definitely a part of it. So, um, yeah. So, um, you know, another thing too, is uh, a couple of years ago, I did an- the ancestry DNA I came back. Oh, with, yeah. I came back with a lot of DNA, which probably most Americans probably have similar thing. But I came back with a lot of DNA from, especially a lot of people in this region. Yeah, I came back with a lot of DNA from Scandinavia. Um, you know, Chances but, are,
1: if you have Celtic heritage, yeah. you have Scandinavian
0: Norse her- heritage tied into that. Yeah, yeah. There's a lot of reasons for that too. But so to kind of start us off. Uh, in today's episode, I want to kind of give a preface to this episode. And so, uh, I want to just start off with a text critical note. Okay? Um, So, here's what I want to say. We do not have a lot of source material whenever it comes to the Norse myths. Okay? Um, The two main sources that we have are called the Prose and the Poetic Eddas. These basically are a, a collection of old Norse poems and stories and the uh, the Prose Edda was compiled and uh, perhaps may be written. We don't really know. There's a lot of debate surrounding that. But it was written by an Icelandic Christian statesman, historian, and poet by the name of Snorri Sturluson. Say that five times fast. There we go. <laughs> um, and so he, uh, you know, there's a lot of debate, too, on, like, is... His Christianity brings a lot of things into the mix here. And yeah. for scholars, it raises a lot of questions. So so I had a conversation. How much of this is like sort of
1: filtered through his lens?
0: Yeah, so I had a conversation with Father Stephen Damick, who is one of the hosts on The Lord of Spirits. Um, I had a conversation with him today um, over Facebook because he is also taking classes on Tolkien and Norse mythology right now. And so I'm like, okay, like he probably knows quite a bit about this. So I, he he said that um, scholars are really like we we'll get to more of this in a minute, but like a lot of scholars don't know if if it was Snorri's intention to um, tell this story through a Christian lens, or if he was recording the um, the stories as he received them, or if he was just making some of them up. And the reason why we don't know is because of the lack of source material these are the two main sources and here's the deal they don't agree with each other i mean if, honestly it was probably all of the
1: above yeah I, like I'm, I'm there was sure. probably this core thread that he was working with yep and he gained as much source material as yep. he could and then he kind of just kind of filled in well even the where even
0: where they are this so there's, defi- there's definitely flourishes in yep. his work from what i understand i'm not a scholar on this Um, I have read the majority of them and I have them right here and we're going to talk about them but um, but even where there are um, similarities and they're talking about the same stories there are still yet textual differences so it's very very difficult for us to be able to look at the Norse myths and stories and be like this is the true story this is inside the canon this one's not inside the canon there is no canon like this isn't like so, so, for example, this isn't like Scripture where if you have a textual variant, okay, like, say, the long ending of Mark or um, the comma Johannium in verse John, uh, whatever. See, so with those types of text, you can go back, and we have all of these various texts out there, okay, from different periods. And we can look, and we can kind of authenticate you know this is the older manuscript, which gives uh gives weight to this reading of the text right if this is the oldest manuscript, odds are this is probably the original text, okay you can't do that with the yeah. the Norse myths because we have such a lack of source material out there um and I think that kind of speaks to this a little bit like obviously like. The, this goes to show the the preservation of the Bible versus something like the Norse myths yeah. um, there's a lot more that I could say about that um, and it
1: probably lends to its uh, popularity too with the culture today especially in the occult I mean it literally gives them the freedom to sort of adapt it to their own
0: personality and craft yeah that's definitely a big thing and that's hot that's a hotly debated thing too like even. I seen somebody the other day making Freya out to be some
1: uh patron saint of, like, abortion rights and things like that. And the, and Thor was, like, this advocate for homosexuality and things. Like, they, they, they're
0: they taking these stories and sort of mixing their own narrative in with it. Yeah. So, you know, there's a lot of debate, from what I understand, even in the Norse paganism on how exactly some of this stuff works. Like, there are, there's a group of, like, reconstructionists who want to go back to the historical material and try to reconstruct... The historical Norse paganism and the ritual but the problem is is like we just don't have it like it's not there like and so what that does is that leads to a kind of eclecticism where people begin to one and I've seen this in the work of Jack Donovan go back to old things like the Greeks and the surrounding cultures and to look at their rituals and to use those and to kind of transpose them into the Norse world you know, you change the gods' names, yep. right? That kind of thing. You, you might switch up some stuff here and there, or it leads to a kind of new agey kind of tendency to where you just kind of make it all up and take bits and pieces of things here and there yep. and kind of do your own mishmash of things while invoking mm-hmm. the gods of the Northmen. So, yeah. Um, so there's a lot of debate about that, but um, but anyway, so that's kind of the preface. Okay, like the preface is. We don't have a lot of source material, and the source material that we do have doesn't necessarily agree with one another. And the, the, the primary source that we do have is a Christian, and we're not entirely sure if he's relaying this through the lens of his Christianity, or if he's just relaying them as he heard them, or if he's just making them up. So um, so that's got to take that into account whenever yep. you're looking at these stories. Okay, so... All right, so here's what we're going to do, Richie. We are going to spend the majority of our episode um, discussing the creation story for the Norse myths. Now, there's a a lot of reasons why, and one of those reasons is that as we read through it, we're going to see that there are lots and lots of parallels to the biblical story. Like, I, I think that it's very obvious that there is interaction happening in The creation story in the north, North Norse myths. You know, so that's that's the main reason. I'll just leave it at that. That's that's the main. That's the main reason. Yeah, but at the end of this thing, what we're going to do is we're going to talk about, we're going to discuss them, and we're going to say we're going to do the good old bless, baptize, and burn. Don't you just tell the audience what you've. Nickname the those those categories. Well, you know, episode. since we're talking about Vikings and, and Norse paganism, this is the
1: heathenized
0: version yeah, of "bless, baptize, and burn." Yeah, we'll just we'll just call it uh, "take pillage and burn." <laughs> take <laughs> pillage and burn. That's that. Okay, so uh, I have here in front of me the copy of the Norse myths. There are thirty-two uh, in this, and this is published by the Pantheon, and it's uh, compiled by Kevin Crosley Holland. So, um, so yeah. So, this is the creation. We might stop and pause and discuss some of it on the spot, yep. too. So, all right. So, here we go. Cue the music. Cue the music. <laughs> uh, burning ice. Now, what music? Is this high lung? Is this what is this? I don't know. Maybe we'll add some mood music in here that sounds really Nordic to make it sound really cool. I don't know. Burning ice, biting flame. This is how life began. In the south is a realm called mooseful. In. The old language is called Musflheim. The region flickers with dancing flames. It seethes and it shines. No one can endure it except those born into it. Black Sirt is there. He sets on the furthest reach of that land, brandishing a flaming sword. He is already waiting for the end, when he will rise and savage the gods and whelm the whole world with fire. In the north is a realm called Nephilheim. It is packed with ice and covered with vast sweeps of snow. In the heart of that region lies the spring Hevergolmauer. Hefgr- <laughs> Hefgr- <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm loving this. I'm going to butcher some of these names. Also, did you know that in Norse they actually roll their Rs? So they it's, do. It's not Thor, it's Thor. Anybody that's ever listened to High Long, you know know that. Like, it's literally, they growl with those R's through their songs. Also, Odin is not Odin. It's Othen. Yeah. Othen. Like a very strong O, then a T-H sound. Um, So, yeah. So, anyway. Um, So, you have the spring. Uh, That was Josh's lesson on Proto-Germanic language. Hevgramer. And this is the source of the 11 rivers named the... Elvagar, the cool's Vol, the Gunthra, the Defiant Form, the Bubbling Fimbethol, Fearsome Slid, and Storming Hrid, Slig, Yig, Vid, Lept, which streaks with like lightning, and freezing Jol. Between these realms there stretched a huge and seeming emptiness. This is the Nagunapag, The rivers that sprang from Heglmer streamed into the void, the yeasty venom that thickened and congealed like slag, and the rivers turned into ice. That venom also spat out drizzle, an unending dismal haggar that, as soon as it settled, turned into rim. So it went out until all the northern part of the Gunapag was heavy with layers of ice and hoarfrost, a desolate place haunted by ghosts and scuthers of wind. Just as the northern part was frozen, the southern was molten and glowing. But it was the middle of the Gunapeg that was mild as hanging air on a summer evening. There, the warm breath, drifting north from Mooseville met the rhyme of the Nephilim, and it touched and it played over it, and the ice began to thaw and to drip. Life quickened in those drops, and they took the form of a giant. He was called Ymir. Ymir was a frost giant. He was evil from the first. When he slept, he began to sweat. A man and woman grew out of the ooze under his left armpit, and one of his legs fathered a son, and on the other leg, Ymir was the forefather of all the frost giants, and they called him Urglemir. So here we are beginning this story with a giant. <laughs> I mean... <laughs> and he's he's gross. And he's gross. He's, he's doing, gr- he's doing he's some gross. sketchy things. So we're, also, I don't know if you noticed it or not, but we have a void. Yep. Very much uh, echoing Genesis 1 through 3. And even Genesis 1 through 6. We've got a we've got an empty void. Now we've got a, a giant named Ymir or Arglomire. And we're going to go on here. As more of the ice in the Gunapeg melted, the fluid took the form of a cow. She was called Adumla. Ymir fed off the four rivers of milk that coursed from her teats. (laughs) That's a sword and staff verse. That's a a sword and staff verse. (laughs) And Adumla fed off of the ice itself. She She licked the salty blocks and by the evening of the first day a man's hair had come out of the ice. Adumla licked more and by the evening of the second day a man's head had come. A doomla licked again, and by the evening of the third day, the whole man had come, and his name was Buri. Burry was tall, strong, and good-looking. In time, he had a son called Bor, and Bor married a daughter of Bolthor, one of the frost giants. So we have humans and... and giants. And giants intermingling. Wonder why we've heard that before. Right. So, it says, her name uh, was Besla, and she mothered three children, all of them sons. And the first was Odin, or Odin. The second was Vili, and the third was V, or Ve. All of this was in the beginning, before there were waves of sand and the sea's cool waves and waving grass. There was no earth and no heaven above, only Mooseful and Niflum. "'and between them the Gunapag. "'The three sons of Bor had no liking of Ymir and the, "'and the growing gang of unruly, brutal frost giants. "'And as time went on, they grew to hate them, "'and at last they attacked Ymir and killed him. "'His wounds were like springs, "'so much blood streamed from them and so fast "'that the flood drowned all of the frost giants "'except Bergelmir. And his wife wait 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 the flood coming to wipe out the giants that's right I mean come on now yeah and it's it's caused by like so it's it's the blood of Ymir it is it's a, a, a blood of a flood of blood yeah there's a rabbit hole right there I mean no we got more no we got more We got more okay so his wounds were like a spring so much blood streamed from them and so fast that the flood drowned all the frost giants except for Burglameyer and his wife and they embarked in their boat and it was made of a hollowed tree trunk and they rode the tide of gore so not only do we have oh. a flood in giants but now we have an ark this is, this is literally like the Norse Genesis account it's like the rated R it is it's like the rated R version the rated R version like, like, this is, this is, this is TVMA yeah, it's not. It's, not only do we have the intermingling of giants, and, and, you know, uh, and uh, spiritual beings, and you know that entire thing, or humans, or whatever. Um, yeah. At this point, it's not entirely clear. Yeah, but, it's, it's just. But now we also have a flood of blood, and we're riding a boat on it. Like it sounds I mean, yeah, it's it's just epic at this point. Yeah. Odin and Villian and Ve hoisted the body of the dead frost giant onto their shoulders, and they carted it into the middle of the Goonipag. That is where, the, where they made the world from his body. So, it says they shaped the earth from Ymir's flesh and the mountains from his unbroken bones. From his teeth and jaws and the fragments of his shattered bones, they made rocks and boulders and stones. Odin and Vili and V used the welter of blood to make landlocked lakes and to make the sea. After they had formed the earth, they laid the rocking ocean in a ring around it. And it was so wide that most men would dismiss the very idea of crossing it. Then the three brothers raised Ymir's skull and made the sky from it and placed it so that its four corners reached the ends of the earth. They set a dwarf under each corner. So they set a dwarf under the four corners of the earth here, right? Which is very, this is all very reminiscent of Genesis, right? Like in Genesis, you have this firmament in the sky that's like this dome, and in the Norse myth here, you have a skull of a giant that makes the firmament, right? And then not only that, but we, we hear in scripture that there are four angels set at the four corners of the earth, right? And here we've got dwarves that are set at the corners of the earth, right? So like, these are the sons of Durin, yep. <laughs> right? which we're literally going to see here, here in a few minutes, um, Tolkien definitely used this as source material. Um, so, anyway. All right. So, uh, they set a dwarf under each corner, and their names are East and West and North and South. Well, yeah. So, literally setting them at the four corners. Literally, yeah. They put them high in the Gunapeg to light heaven above and, to, and earth below, and in this way oh, oh sorry sorry I said I missed a part here it said then Odin and Vili and Ve I mean that's
1: that's a direct crossover to, to the occult and Hebrew mysticism to, about the, especially with the angels of the four corners and the four winds
0: Yep. it says then Odin, Vili and Ve seized on the sparks and the glowing embers from Musful and called them the sun and the moon and the stars and they put them high in the Gunapeg and the light heaven to light heaven above and the earth below in this way the brothers gave each star its proper place and some were fixed in the sky while others were free to follow the paths appointed to them the earth was round so that's interesting yeah the earth was round uh, and they lay within the ring of the deep sea along with the strand of the sons of Boer marked out tracts of land and gave them to the frost giants and to the rock giants and there in Jotunheim the giants settled they were so hostile that the three brothers built an enclosure further inland around a vast, uh, vast area of the earth. They shaped it out of Ymir's eyebrows, and they called it Midgard. Midgard. Which translates to Middle-earth. I was going to say, that's Middle-earth. Yeah. <clears throat> so, uh, we'll, we'll dive into this a little bit more here in just a minute. Uh, I mean, all I'm seeing is doors opening
1: beneath my feet to fall into the world of Tolkien and just talk about that. I mean, it's, it's everywhere. Yeah.
0: So the sun warmed the stones and the earth there and the ground was green with sprouting leeks. The sons of Bor used Ymir's brains as well. They flung them up into the air and turned them into every kind of cloud. So the clouds are Ymir's brains. Huh. Yeah. One day, Odin and Vili and Vey were striding along the frayed edge of the land. Where the earth meets the sea and they came across two fallen trees with their roots ripped out of the ground. One was an ash and the other was an elm. Then the sons of Bore raised them and made from them the first man and woman. Odin breathed into them the spirit of life. Sounds familiar. Yep. Vili offered them their sh- his sharp wits and feeling heart. And Ve gave to them the gifts of hearing and sight. The man was called Ask, and the woman, Imbla. There's even a play on the A and the E there, right? Like Adam and Eve, Ask, and Imbla, And they were given all of Midgard to live in. All the families and the nations of the races of men are descended from them. So we've got an Adam and Eve story. I mean, it's just obvious right there. Yeah, I mean, we've got an Adam and Eve story here. Um, Yeah, I mean, it's just obviously interacting with the Genesis story. I mean, it's just so obvious. Okay. One of the giants living in Jotunheim, Narvi, had a daughter called Night, who was dark-eyed, dark-haired, and swarthy as the rest of her family. She married three times. Her first husband was a man called Nagalfari, and their son was Odd. Her second husband was Anar, and their daughter was Earth. And her third husband was Shining Delling, who was re- related to the sons of Bor. Their son was Day, and like all on his father's side of the family, Day was radiant and fair of face. Then Odin took Night and her son Day, and sat them in a horse-drawn chariots and set them in the sky to ride around the earth every two and a half days. Night leads the way, and her horse is Frosty Mane, Hrimfaxi day's horse is skinfaxy and he has a gleaming mane and lights up the sky and the earth alike a man called mundulfari living in midgard had two children and they were so beautiful that he called his son moon and his daughter son Sun was married to a man named glenn which is a very basic common name and the rest is yeah, complicated like, names like, this is glenn this is glenn <laughs> odin and his brothers and their offspring the aesir were angered at such daring. They snatched away both the children and placed them in the sky to guide the chariots of sun and moon, the constellations made by the sons of boar to light the world out of the sparks from Muspel. Moon leads the way. He guides the moon on its path and decides when he will wax and wane. He does not travel alone, as you can see if you look into the sky. For Moon, in turn, plucked two children from Midgard, Bill, and Hajuki. And their father is Vidfin. I like how it's like, they're just, like, they took these people. This is who their father was. You guys know that. Yeah. You guys know Vidfin, right? He just lived down the road. Yeah, he just lived down the road. Right. Yeah. It says, <laughs> it says they were just walking <laughs> by, away from the well of Begir, carrying between them the water cask, suing, and the pole simil, when moon swooped down and carried them off. So it's like they were just doing their thing, you know? Yep. And the moon swept down and took them. Took him away. Yeah. <laughs> There's a really funny part coming up. I have LOL wrote in the margins. I can't wait to get to it. <laughs> oh my gosh. Sun followed behind. Uh, one of her horses called Arvak, because he rises so early, and the others, uh, the other Asflit, because he is immensely strong. The acier inserted iron cold bellows under their shoulder blades to keep them cool. Sun always seems to be in a great hurry, and that is because she is chased by Skull. The wolf who is always snapping and growling close behind her. In the end, he will catch her. And the wolf that races in front of Sun is called Hattie. She is after the moon, or he is after the moon, and will run him down in the end. Both wolves are the sons of an aged giantess who lived in the iron wood east of Midgard. Oh gosh. That's got Tolkienian language written all over the Iron Woods. It
1: does. Yep.
0: Oh, just wait. There's more. All right. So this is my favorite part of the whole creation story. After the sons of Boar had made the first man and the woman and set night and day, moon and sun in the sky, they remembered the maggots that had squirmed and swarmed in Ymir's flesh and crawled out over the earth. Then they gave them wits in the shape of men. But they lived under the hills and the mountains and rocky chambers and grottos and caverns. These man like maggots are called dwarfs. <laughs> <laughs> oh, gosh. <sighs> these, it it sounds like th- these are the
1: high elves telling the creation story of the right. dwarves. Like these maggots are called dwarfs.
0: Modskinir is their leader, and his deputy is Durin. Oh, gosh. So Tolkien gets the name Durin. These are Durin's folk right here. Yes, yeah.
1: maggots under the ground. That's right. These are, the folk. These
0: are Durin's <laughs> folk. They're maggots. This was written by the elves. Yeah, right. No, no, doubt. Right. no doubt. No doubt. No doubt. Uh, <laughs> so the earth was fashioned and filled with men and giants and dwarves, surrounded by the sea and covered by the sky. Then the sons of Bor built their own realm of Asgard. A mighty stronghold, a place of green plains and shining palaces high over Midgard. The two regions were linked by the Bifrost, a flaming rainbow bridge. And it was made of three colors with magic and great skill. And it is wonderfully strong. All the Aesir, the guardians of men, crossed over and settled in Asgard. Odin, Allfather, is the oldest and greatest of them all. There are 12 divine gods and 12 divine goddesses and a great assembly of other Aesir. So we have a divine council. We also have, I
1: don't know if you want to dive into it yet or not. What? The, the Valar and the Maiar. We'll
0: get it. We'll, we'll save that. Right? Okay, we'll, 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 we'll save, save that. that. Okay. But I'm shook. Um, so there's a great assembly of other Aesir. And uh, this was the beginning of all that has happened, remembered, or forgotten in all the regions of the world. And all that has happened, all the regions of the world lie under the branches of the ash, Yggdrasil. And that's actually pronounced Yggdrasil. I was going to say, where's this pronunciation? Yeah. Greatest and the best of trees. it swore, It soars over all that is. So it's this cosmic world tree is what it is. It's this ginormous tree. Um, We'll talk more about that in a minute. And there is a spring under each. A hawk and an eagle sit in it. A squirrel scurries up and down. Deers lap within it. and nibble at it. A dragon devours it. as sprinkled with dew. This is like lyrics to some re-enchanted metal song. Well, there are a lot of metal bands out there that are... uh, Oh, Yeah. Yeah, Amana Marth is one of them. Uh, That's what i saying. It gives life to itself, and it gives life to the unborn. The winds whirl around it, and Yggdrasil croons and grows. Yggdrasil always was, is, and will be. So let's talk about Yggdrasil for a minute. Okay, so it's this world tree. Yep. And within it, uh, it is home to the Nine Realms, which we learned about some of them here in the creation story, but we didn't learn about all of them. But um, the nine realms, um, one is Asgard, right? Yep. Who lives in Asgard? The Aesir, right? Yep. The, the, uh, the council of Odin. Yep. Um Who lives uh, in Valinor? The Valar, uh, or, or the council <laughs> of Eru Iluvatar. <laughs> uh, so then we've got Midgard, which is the home to the humans. Then, this, we didn't hear about this one, but it's in some of the other stories. We have Alfheim, or Alfheim which is the home of the Light Elves. I so, was going to say. Yeah, so there's a home to the Elves. Then after that, we have Vanaheim, which we've not learned about yet. But in the next story, we have it's called the War of the Aesir and the Vanir. And so the Vanir is another council of, of gods or kind of like the lesser gods. Yep. But uh, Vanaheim is the home of the Vanir. Then we have Muspel or Muspelheim, and that's the world of fire and demons. That's where Black sort lives. Then, this is one of my favorites, we had Nidalevir, uh, and that is the home of, they're called the Black Dwarves. Um, they's actually, some, some of them call them the Black Elves. Like, if you watch Thor The Dark World, um, I'm pretty sure that they're... The, they're like Dark Elves. Yeah, they're Dark Elves. Yeah. Which, and, and historically, that's not how they understood them. They understood them to be dwarves, not... Yeah. Not the elves. Um, they did call them the black elves, but by black elves, they didn't actually mean what we mean by that. They, yeah. It was the dwarves. So um, then we have Helheim, and that is the home of hell and the dishonorable dead. Then we have Niflheim, which is the world of ice that we saw in the beginning. And then we have Niflheim, H- yep, the home of the Nephilim frost giants. <laughs> then we have Jotunheim, which is the home of the giants. Yep. So those are the nine realms. So, uh, Elfheim just sounds like Rivendell to me. <laughs> like it just it does. Uh, immediately yeah. think of Richard. immediately, yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay, all right, Richie. So, oh boy, tell me what you think about this story. Like similarities, things that kind of took you by surprise that maybe you've never heard before. Just, just some of the some of the things that just some of your thoughts. Are you ready to dive into Tolkien
1: at this point? Because that's what's overflowing from my mind. And if you ask me what are my thoughts, that's going to be my thoughts. So I'll let you lead the way on this conversation first. You steer us away from Tolkien right now into into another vein to explore here.
0: I just think it's funny. I mean, it's just so obvious that this is interaction with the Genesis story. Yeah. You know, like it's literally all of the same elements. Like even it's down to... The first man and the first woman being named Ask and Ask and Imbla, right? yeah. Like, uh, and then their association with trees, yeah. Uh, which is Adam and Eve, ha- like hide themselves in the trees, yeah. So it's just really interesting to me. I, I, you know, I, I don't meet a lot of Odinists and pagans who talk about that their story is basically uh, a copy. Of the Genesis story, it is a copy. Like Genesis is honestly, the people
1: that over. are calling themselves Odinists today probably have no clue.
0: Yeah, I think that that's that's probably
1: unless true. they're the fringe group that's really striving to reconstruct some of the historical, yeah. sort of aspects of it. They well, might have
0: that, or perhaps these are the elements that Snorri Sturluson, yep. has in here as well, and so we just don't know. Yep. So, um, okay. Um, you know, another thing, too, that kind of is like you don't get right off the well, bat. Well, I mean, if
1: you think about it, there's this sort of uh, same pattern of with even with like the flood story that is really across every culture. I mean, every culture sort mm-hmm. of has those. They do. So, I mean, it's, it's safe to say that the Norse had their own probably.
0: They did. They, yeah. they had their own for sure. Uh, I mean, there's even an arc. And yeah, so, there so boat, I mean, you know, so it's it's yeah, it's there. it's safe
1: to say that went beyond uh, Snorri's influence
0: there. For sure. Yeah, um, he's this brings me to my next point. He's he's kind of working within a tradition, um, a very well-known tradition, um, which kind of takes me to the point that I was going to mention there a second ago that like whenever you first um, get into the story, It's not really that clear if Odin is a man or a divine being. Oh, yeah. We were were debating this
1: sort of back and forth earlier.
0: Yeah. Um, So one of the interesting things is, and this touches on the point of Snorri uh, working within a tradition here, Uh, it was a tradition uh, for those who were writing epics, to um, do what's called universal history. Jonathan Peugeot and Richard Rowland have talked about this on the symbolic world. Um, but basically, what's going on here is it's an attempt to make their story connect with other stories. Okay? Yeah. And you see this back all the way with, like, uh, say, Virgil and the Aeneid. Okay? Like, in the founding myth of Rome, their claim to fame was that they. Were descendants of the Trojans, right? And so I was waiting for you to get into this. Yeah, right. Um, so the, they they are they basically say that the Trojans who survived, you know, whenever you know Achilles and you know King Agamemnon yeah. you know took down Troy, um, they say that some of the the men fled, and eventually they would found the nation of Rome, and then the Romans take down the Greeks in some ways. So it's kind of like uh, this circle. You know what I mean? It's like, yeah. you take down, you strike me down. I should. They a... came full circle. Right, yeah. it comes full circle. Um, so Virgil does that with the Aeneid. Okay. The interesting thing is at the beginning of Snorri's uh, work, he says that um, he makes the argument that Odin, was a Trojan who went north and was perhaps some kind of sorcerer. Okay. The Trojan, the the went north
1: aspect is something that I know that modern Odinists have, that's that's not a thing to them. Right. So the sorcerer aspect of Odin, Mm -hmm. absolutely, because they sort of, uh, they view him as this sort of uh, wisdom bearer, this sage figure. I mean he sacrificed himself to gain mystic knowledge. So right. I mean, he fits that bill. But this uh traveling sorcerer from Troy, I mean, it's like Yeah. It's not a thing. Like with,
0: with the with the modern take on it. Right. And so Snorri, again, we don't know if he's recording history as he received it or if he's making it up or whatever. But he says that Odin was a, you know, kind of a wanderer who wandered in from Troy and ended up north. So, I, I, again, I was having a conversation with uh, Father Stephen Damick from, you know, Lord of Spirits, and surprise, you, we, we sort of have a Sword and Staff uh, Lord of Spirits crossover going on here. Yeah. And uh, I, I asked him, I said, um, do you think that Odin was a fallen angel? who is posing to be a god, or do you think that he was a man? He said, Snorri says that he was a Trojan who went north, perhaps some kind of sorcerer. Is that true? Hard to know. It does fit with the general medieval European concern to link their their local cultures with classical Greco-Roman ones. There is also the separate but related question of what spirit any Norse pagans might have worshipped, Um, might have, or might have been interacting with. Could be fallen angels, the spirit of a dead giant, perhaps the demonized spirit of a Trojan sorcerer, or any combination thereof. Also hard to know. Could be any of those. So, hard
1: to tell? I don't know. Um, I mean, we were talking earlier about, uh, we know that it's a thing that uh, principalities and spiritual beings will take on, sort of cultural mythologies and um, masks that are formed from like folk tales and stories and these giants and heroes of old and they'll take on this sort of persona be like yes that's me yeah so is it possible And manifest themselves like that
0: so is it possible that odin was a uh historical person yeah yeah is it also possible that they were interacting with a spiritual being being under the name of odin or odin or also yes also yes um so, I mean, either way,
1: it kind of so, yeah. doesn't
0: really matter. I mean, it's yeah. it's still... Or perhaps, like Father Damick said, um, perhaps they're interacting with the demonized spirit of a Trojan sorcerer. I mean... Who knows? Who knows? Who knows? So, okay. This is going to bring us to our... Uh, not our last section. We've got another section. But, okay. We've just heard the creation myth of... We're going to get into some fun stuff here. Okay. Okay. We just got into the creation myth of the Norse. Now we're going to do bless, baptize, and burn.
1: No. We're going to do... What are we going to do?
0: We're going to do... <laughs> take, pillage... Take. Oh, what, what was it? No. It's right. like... Uh, it was... Uh, take, yeah, take, pillage, take and burn. Take, pillage, and burn. Okay. Let's All get right. it right. All right. So I think right off the bat, the main thing that we have to burn is the idea that the most high God is Odin. Right. We cannot accept that. And the idea that the most high God is created. And that pre-existing creation uh, is before the creation of God. Because that's what you see here. I mean, the fact that Odin is a created being, and they admit that Odin's
1: a create, created being.
0: Well, it's not all in it, like, like, I
1: mean, it takes away. Yeah. I mean his his prominence as this all
0: father as this the high, the highest god. I mean, he, it's kind of common in some ways in the ancient world where you have a pre existing world and yeah. a god that is a uh, created you know, from that. Like you see it in the Egyptian myths in some way. Um, Which it, I know it's it's just odd to me though that these
1: ancient cultures will admit that their gods are created even lesser beings. And they still offer them worship over something that's a step higher or beyond yeah. that. They they don't... It's like they don't take it a step further and look higher than wh- where they come to with it. Yeah. Yeah. And it's a common thing. You see this with the Egyptians, with the Greeks, mm-hmm. the Romans. They all have their pantheons. They all admit that their pantheons are full of created lesser beings. Yep.
0: Yep, 100%. So I think we got to burn that idea. Let's burn it. Yeah. I don't think that there's... Now... um I think that there is a way here that we can accept that Odin is an angel and kind of rightly focus how to think about him in some way. Um, And this kind of gets into Tolkien and his mythos um, with Lord of the Rings. It's about time. Just waiting for this moment. Just waiting for this moment. Okay. So I think that Tolkien... playing in like the Eagles. Right. I actually think that, that Tolkien... I think he actually includes Odin in his mythos. He does. He does in a big
1: way, and I'll let you tell him how.
0: uh, Well, let me see if I can pull some stuff up here.
1: Because when you told me, like, I never made that connection before, but when you started describing it to me, I was like, absolutely, I see it.
0: Okay. All right. Well, I think that Tolkien kind of gives us a way as Christians to think about Odin. So, um, okay, do you want to maybe tell the people about the dwarves in Middle-earth. They're not created by Eru Iluvatar. They're not.
1: They are, they are created in sort of this secondary process by one of the Valar, Ole. Okay. So, I mean, he is the the master of Forge. He is this, uh, he's, he's, they describe him with a hammer, like he's a, a, a blacksmith, a metalsmith, and he creates the dwarves. So in a way, if you link Olay to uh, Odin, Thor, I mean, you can actually say that Odin is an all-father. He is the all-father of the dwarves.
0: Yeah. So it's interesting um, because his title, so Ale, in Middle-earth, so that's his name in Quenya, and it means invention. Yep. Okay, so he's kind of got this... His name in Kozdul, which is the language of the dwarves, is Mahal, which means maker. Yeah. Okay? Um, which makes sense for the dwarves. Right. But his title is the smith. The smith. Yeah. Right. And he's also kind of this um, spiritual being who's associated with knowledge as well. Yeah. Which is very,
1: very similar to Odin. I was going to say, yeah. Yeah. He literally
0: sacrificed himself to gain knowledge. That's what I was about to say. Yeah. So, uh, let me see here. Pull back up my outline. But yeah, he's... There's definitely a parallel there. Like, he's the creator of the dwarves. Oh, absolutely. And now here in Tolkien's mythos, you have this spiritual being who is the creator of the dwarves as well, who has the same characteristics, similar descriptions, and some even, you know try to argue that ale is possibly Thor. But I think they're a little misguided there. I think that it makes a lot more sense that it's Odin rather than Thor. And the interesting thing here is he is subverted into this hierarchy and he is put under the authority of Eru Ilufatar. right? Absolutely, it's kind yeah. of like refocused through a monotheistic... A view of religion here. And so I think that that's a, a probably a pretty good way for how Christians can think about Odin at the very least, right? That he yep. is not the creator, but nevertheless he is a perhaps a real spiritual being. Yeah. but who is underneath and beneath the one true god, Yahweh. That's that's how I'd think about it. So, um so I think that we can the the um, how do I word this? The idea that this is a real being, right? Um, a, a real spiritual being. I think we can blame. I mean, it, it, we it can
1: almost Tolkien almost gives you like the go ahead to believe that because he sort of portrays him as a real spiritual being in his
0: yeah. He basically he basically takes the the Aesir and the. Uh, the Vanir, and he baptizes them, and he makes them the the Valar and the Maiar. Yeah, he, he st- turns the structure back upright. Like that's
1: he right. Has Iluvatar, and then his divine council. That's exactly right. And it's monotheistic.
0: Yeah, right? it it's monotheistic. Yep, yep. yep. So uh, I think that we can hmm, that we can bless the desire to see these beings as real spiritual beings. But we have to; we can't accept it wholesale. So we have right. to you baptize have to, it, yeah, in, in the proper context. That's right, and see them at the very least as angelic beings, as part of the divine council, right? Yeah, yeah, and uh, you know, fallen members of yep. the divine council at that. Um, so, um, okay, so that's one thing that we can um, baptize and, and bless. I think that another thing as well is the idea of uh, Yggdrasil. Or the world tree. Well, let's Bible? go back to that for a second. I mean it's
1: yeah. it's something that is, is so foreign to Western Christianity. A lot of you go to a lot of churches and they don't even believe that these these uh, ancient gods of the pagans are anything but sort of made up stories. Like they have no context for them being mythic, like actual spiritual beings.
0: Mythic in the sense that they don't exist. Right. But that's not how the Bible views it. Right. Like yeah. they have no
1: context or no concept of them being an actual spiritual being. Right.
0: Yeah. And I think that Tolkien kind of gives you... He, he's got that in his work. Yeah. Like he refocuses it and shows you, like, okay, like we can take this kind of archetype and refocus it in the way that it needs to be in a monotheistic system. So, um, okay. So... The world tree idea. The world tree. Yggdrasil. I think that that's something that we can bless and baptize. Because in Scripture, we actually have this idea of a world tree. Like, I'm not the only person who's talked about this. Um, Michael Heiser has written and talked about it a little bit. Um, Also, Dr. Chad Bird, who is a Lutheran Reformed uh, scholar, He's actually got a whole video out there on the world tree thing, uh, looking at it from his perspective. But there are texts in the Bible that actually talk about this world tree idea. And yeah. so we'll dive a little bit deeper into this. Um, so in Daniel 4, um, yeah, even the, in, the occult,
1: in the Celtic cultures, you have the tree of life, that its roots reach into the heavens and its, uh, its limbs reach into the heavens and its roots reach into the earth, into the underworld. I mean, it it literally holds up the cosmos. Right. And you see that in, oh gosh, almost all all cultures have this sort of vision of this tree.
0: Yeah. So in uh, Daniel 4, starting in verse 10, here's what it says. And this is King Nebuchadnezzar, right? He's he's a Babylonian. Uh, It says, "...the visions of my head as I lie down on the bed were these I saw, and behold, a tree in the midst of the earth." And its height was great. The tree grew and became strong, and its top reached to heaven and was visible to the end of the earth. Its leaves were beautiful, its fruits were abundant, and was for food for all. The beast of the field found shade under it, and the birds of the heavens lived in the branches, and all flesh was fed from it. What do you think about that? I'll let you take the first stab at it. Well, I mean, it's not something I think that we're taught. Right. You know, like I would have, like, I I was never taught to think that the Bible kind of has this concept of the world tree. Like if someone would have read that. Segment of
1: scripture, scripture to me when I was a pagan I was like yeah like that is the world tree that's the tree of life that's the the tree that holds up the cosmos that's right
0: yeah you're thinking in the right vein yeah right it's 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 connected to the tree of life you know that whole thing um, the interesting thing here is that Babylon he's he's a Babylonian and yeah. he's seeing this world tree okay um okay so. Another text that talks about this is Ezekiel 17, and it's uh starting in verse twenty two. It says, Thus says the Lord God, I will make for I will take a sprig from the lofty top of the cedar, and will set it out. I will break off from the topmost of its young twigs, a tender one, and I will plant it on a high and lofty mountain. So basically God's talking about taking a twig from the top of this world tree, and he's going to take and he's going to plant it on a high lofty mountain. On the mountain height of Israel, I will plant it, that it may bear branches and produce fruit and become a noble cedar, and under it will dwell every kind of bird. In the shade of its branches, birds of every sort will nest." And all the trees of the field shall know that I am the Lord. Okay, so we're talking about people here. Yeah, the trees of the field shall know that I am the Lord. Trees are symbols for people. Yep. Right. Um, Adam and Eve dressed
1: themselves up. I was going to say, you see this this dual tree picture in Adam and Eve, even in Tolkien's writing with the mm-hmm. the two trees and uh the in Valinor. Yep. Yep. Even yep. the tree of knowledge of good and evil, and the tree of li- life, all
0: that stuff. Yep. So uh two, uh whenever Israel wants a king to rule over them, it says they said to the trees, yeah, rule over us. So it says, All the trees of the field will know I'm the Lord, I will bring low the high tree, which is Babylon, and make high the low tree, which is Israel, and dry up the green tree and make dry the tree flourish. I'm the Lord. Fascinating. Absolutely fascinating. Okay. That's not something you hear typically at your Sunday school service. No, 100%. You, that's not something that we're taught. Um, it's not something that we're taught to think about. Yep. So whenever we hear about the World Tree in you know, Norse mythology, we don't ever think that our own religion has this concept within it. And it, it yep. and it connects the realms, even. I mean, think about it. Its roots go down to Hades and to Sheol. Yep. Right, like it, we we see that type of language about the roots, of the mountains, and the roots going down into Sheol. Into Sheol but um, but it talks about that its its trunk goes up and then its branches reach all the way into heaven. Yep. Right. So it's this tree that connects heaven and earth, which is an idea that the Norse are, are saying as well. Right. Like this thing connects the realms. We can bless that idea. Yep. It does. It connects heaven and earth. <clears throat> but the interesting thing is, it says that. Go to plant in Israel. Jesus talks about this yep. in the Gospels. And it's in the, uh, it's a parable, a story that he tells. And it's called the parable of the mustard seed. Okay. So you can find that in Matthew chapter 13, verses 31 through 32. He says, as he told another parable, the kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed. It's like that small twig using this language of smallness, right? Yep. Man took it, planted it in his field, and it grows and becomes the largest tree. Oh, yeah. Yep. Yep. So, Jesus is talking about a world tree. He is. Again, I'm not the only person to say this or to suggest it. Um, I can link you to the video from Dr. Chad Bird that talks about the same thing. So, I think that we can bless this idea. Now, I'm not done. There's more to this. Okay, I'm not done, and there's more. And there's more. Okay, now, this
1: this is insane. Um, <laughs> you know it's going to be good when okay. you have to
0: pause. Like, this is just insane. Okay, all right, so let's take this a little further. Let's go. I want to say this. There is a clear parallel between Odin sacrificing himself on Yggdrasil and Christ <laughs> sacrificing himself on the cross. Yes. Which becomes a tree of life. Yes. A cosmic world tree. Yes. That connects heaven and earth. It does. You literally have the hypostatic
1: union. I was going to say Christ, it, his, his being, his entire being is this, is, is like a, a, a embodiment of the world tree. I mean, he literally is
0: the bridge between heaven and earth. He embodies both. I'm going to let you read this line here. So this comes from a story called The Lord of the Gallows. It's the fourth story here in the North Myths, and it's a, when uh, Odin uh, sacrifices himself on Yggdrasil. And so we'll get into this a little more. What line? It's, uh, it's got a little highlight down there beside of it. This whole section? Uh, the, it's a little star beside of it.
1: Where it says Odin said? Yep. Yep. It said, Odin said, I hung from the, the windswept tree, hung there for nine long nights. I was pierced with a spear. I was an offering to Odin, myself to myself. Okay.
0: All right. So. Did I just say I was pierced with a spear? I was pierced with a spear. Hey, guys. We hope that you are enjoying this week's episode, but we're going to have to go ahead and cut off on you. Cliffhanger. Cliffhanger. We're coming in at an hour right now, and we have so So much. So much more. So much more to talk about. Uh, I thought that this was going to be a conversation that was going to last an hour, but it's it's, it's, uh, probably going to be another hour. At least. Yeah. So what we're going to do is we're going to break it up into two parts. So you're going to get this part this week. You'll get the next part next week. So we hope that you've enjoyed this week's episode of The Sword and Staff. There's a lot of stuff here, and uh, Richie, you got anything else to say before we sign off? Oh, so much, but we've, we've got to go. Yeah. All right, so uh, don't forget to go over to our Patreon and sign up. You get these episodes earlier. You get exclusive content. We've got stuff coming for the patrons here in the next uh, couple weeks. We've got some packages and stuff to send out to patrons. But if you want more information on that, head on over to www.patreon.com backslash sword and staff order, and you can get more information there. But we hope you enjoyed this week's episode of the Sword and Staff and we'll be back next week with part two. See you then. See ya.